welcome to the Spotlight, National Podcast Month, day number three, November 3rd, 2020. And uh, Todd Glass, man, this one, this is one I am super, super, super incredibly proud of. This, uh, you know, with the exception of Chris Allen, who was our first ever interview, this was one of my first ever solo interviews, uh, or conversations rather, for, I like to call them conversations. Because that's how I kind of keep them. I don't, I don't keep to the, the traditional interview format. I like to keep it fresh, and we have conver- I have conversations with my guests. But this is one of the first conversations I ever had in person. Um, you know, aside solo, one of the first conversations I had solo and in person solo before I was interviewing at conventions and moderating panels. This was one of the first ones, and uh, Todd Glass, who is a pretty well-known comedian uh you've seen him on comedy central netflix specials he's you know he's a pretty big deal but he's he's got a lot of local ties to the philadelphia area that i'm in and i actually had the opportunity to meet to meet todd from when i was working at a local radio station here in philadelphia so i reached out and we set something up and i he was staying with his brother, so he invited me to his brother's house. We sat down at his dining room table. He was recovering from being sick. Um, but, you know, one of those moments, man, like, this is one of those things that I am incredibly proud of this one because of it being the first in-person solo interview I've ever conversation I've ever had. Uh, and not only that, it's, it's incredibly meaningful when someone who's not a comedian can make a comedian laugh. And that definitely happens in this conversation. So this is one I'm absolutely proud to share with you guys. I hope you guys enjoy it. It's a little longer than some of the other ones that are going to be posted. Uh, this one runs a little bit over an hour, but I promise you it's well worth it. Um, here it is, my first solo conversation, in-person conversation ever with comedian Todd Glass. Enjoy. Uh, hey everybody, this is Ben Beck with Next Level Radio joining you once again for another guest spotlight and uh, I'll be honest, I'm kind of nervous for this one. Uh, I've been a fan of this guy for a while and I'm really pleased that I'm able to do this in person but uh, welcome to the guest spotlight, Todd Glass. Todd? <laughs> I go for the old-fashioned applause. Yeah, that works. Well, thank you for being nervous. Yeah. It's I'm, a compliment. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm a fan. I, I've, I've, you know, I don't really mean thank you for being nervous, but I know what you mean. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I always say I don't get... I'm not saying this about me, but my brother asks me sometimes, like, as a comedian, do you ever get nervous, you know, meeting other people? I said, of course. Yeah. I, but I don't think I get starstruck, but I get talent struck. Yeah. If I perceive like I was around someone like Fred Willard, or even when I met the Super Trooper guys, I was... Really? Giddy and nervous. So, are you a fan of that movie? I love Super Troopers, <laughs> and I love Beer Fest, and yeah. I love a lot that they do. They just get those characters, even comedically, and they fucking do them justice. Yeah. These, so I, I got, when I was around those guys, that's how I got. What was the other one? They, uh, Slam and Salmon, I think, was another one that they did. I didn't see that one. That one was pretty good, one. too. That had uh, Michael Clark Duncan, uh, as well as all this, the uh, that... Um, uh, what, uh, the Broken Lizard. Yeah, the Broken Lizard guys. Yeah. Well, Steve and Mike, Steve and, uh, is it Mike? Yeah, they uh, they tour and do stand-up now, mm-hmm. and uh, I asked them, because they said there might be a Super Troopers too. I heard the rumor about that too. I know, and I asked them, I said, listen, you don't have to put, well, first of all, they don't have to put me in the movie yeah. at all, but I said it to them like that. I said, you don't have to put me in the movie, but I'll tell you what I'd love to do. Just let me talk during the credits. <laughs> and I'll come on. I go. I'll make it funny. I'll be like, "Hey, everybody! This is Todd Glass. 
I told Broken Lizard they didn't have to put me in the movie. I just wanted to talk in the credits. So guess what? Obviously, they let me. So <laughs> it's my job. And then just whatever I decide to do while the credits are rolling. That'd be kind of cool, though. I don't think I've ever seen that before. And somebody doing commentary during the credits. Well, I could stop the credits and go, do you know the power I have? You think, oh, now how many people would stay in the theater is the thing. I bet I can keep most people. I guarantee you, you would keep me in the theater. I keep I, the theater. I would just want to know where you're going with it right. until the end of the movie. I would say, oh, you're sitting in the crowd. You're going, all right, he's going to talk through the credits. What's the big deal? Oh, really? You don't think it's an amazing amount of power? <laughs> I could stop any credit that's rolling next to me and highlight it. And you know if that person's in the theater, they're going to freak out. Stop right there. Oh, makeup, hair, and design. <laughs> Karen Richter. It's Look kinda, at that. It's kind of like John Madden with the, the telescreener. Right. Be even cool, too, if you could, uh, just for fun, just say, uh, just rearrange a couple credits. Like, I don't think this should, yeah, right. should be here. Just move him up to, like, a producer. I think he's better uh, off as a producer. Move things around. You can right. see it on the screen as it happens. Slow it down a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So whatever I would do, that's, that's what I asked them. Yeah. But uh, anyway. So um, I want to start with, uh, with the book. The time glass situation because I'm I'm not one of those guys that'll blow smoke and tell you oh yeah I read the book I read the book I have read half of the book I'm still in the process of reading it um, I love it I love the book there's been moments that I've just I've honestly laughed out loud at the book and I'm surprised how how open you are and how like just how honest about everything you are in that book so it's it, it surprised me. I know the first chapter starts off with the heart attack that you yeah. had. Was that two years ago? That was two years ago. So, And I guess to anybody, that could be a big eye-opener to kind of like, okay, this is this is all the events in my life that led up to, you know, that led up to that moment. Right. And now this is why I'm reflecting on, on everything. You know, uh, yeah, I thought sometimes if it was a, a, the personal stuff, I would ask, jo- there was a ghostwriter. Well, he's the co-author, actually, because he's acknowledged on the cover. His name is Jonathan Grotstein, and he was great. And when it was something, it could be something so stupid personal that was like, why do I have to tell the audience this, Jonathan? And he would say, well, you know, if you want people later, you're at the end of the book, you're sort of ranting and raving. Not ranting and raving, but don't say this, you shouldn't do that. You have to bury your soul a little Mm -hmm. and uh, let people know you before you can then maybe be a little harsher. And uh, so I would always ask him why he would tell me. I'd be like, okay, I'll do it, you know. Um. Yeah, it's it, it takes you know a lot of different points in your life, and it's it's definitely one of those things. Like I just start, I honestly just started reading it last week, and I'm already halfway through it because it keeps my attention. Like I just want to keep going, and I want to know what happens next, and I want to know what happens next. Uh, there, there's a lot of different points in your life that you cover in the book, but there's one pretty big elephant in the room. Um, you came out recently as a comedian. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I love it when my friends would call me and say that they'd be Todd. I didn't know you were a comedian. I'm like, or they would say Jewish. Yeah. They would pick something in the book that was like, I mean, yeah. But I mean, that's basically what the what the book is. It's it's you know, you're up and comings in the comedy world, and I've always been a fan of stand up comedy. And one of the things I've been learning as time goes on, especially through uh, you know, as we mentioned, Chris Hardwick and his podcasts, and Mark Maron and all his podcasts. How much of a small world comedy really is? Like, you guys all know each other for the most part. It really is this very small world. And everybody's, you know, as much as I sometimes love to complain about comedy that I'm not a fan, over, overwhelmingly, mm-hmm. um, especially, excuse me. Oh, sure. <clears throat> I'll tell the audience because I feel like if I say it, then <clears throat> and you're fine. You're not going to get sick. Well, you might. I don't know. <laughs> I'm fighting a little bit. I feel like I'm on the last day of a, a cold, so... Right. My my, I probably sound a little nasally, but 
mm. is that uh, overwhelmingly, I love, I've said this many times, I love uh, most stand-up comedians, overwhelmingly, and I think comedy's in a great place yeah. right now in the last, because... As much as we love to complain about what's on television, there's also, in the last 10, 15 years, been a lot of great things on television, stand-up comedians specifically. Mm -hmm. So young kids that grew up, you know, over the last 15 years, they got to see some unbelievable stand-up comedians, which I think is inspiring a lot of them to say, oh, I think that's funny, I could do that. So um, I think it is a very small community, and yeah, it is amazing, because my, my, sometimes my family will ask me, and especially when they've, you know, when they've gone on to another level, mm-hmm. you know, and they, they'll ask me, do you know that person? Do you know that person? I go, you know what? If it's a stand-up comedian, you pretty much know everybody. Yeah. I mean, because you tell stories in your book about how you had Rosie O'Donnell sleeping on your couch. Yeah, well, that was, that was when I lived with Craig and, uh, yeah, and, and, and they were friends. I know some of the stuff you forget yeah. because it just seems, and, 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 and not in a... Sort of, oh, really? Like, if somebody told me, yeah, Richard Pryor used to sleep on my couch, or somebody, you know what I mean, or, yeah. or I'd be like, really? <laughs> because it was just all happened so slowly, and then their career built over the, you know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but yeah, you realize that. And, and the other thing with stand-up comedians that I think is amazing, uh, when you get, if you're at a comedy festival, you know, there could be a two-year comedian, and then in the room could be, you know, Louis C.K., and then could walk in, you know, Ron White and every every level of comedian, you know, could walk into the room and uh, everybody can talk. Because whether you've been doing comedy for two years or whether you've been doing it for 30, you have enough to talk about. Yeah. Because they know. you. I go on the road. I meet comedian that opened up for me. He's been doing it two, three years. And he knows exactly what I know. Yeah. So there's so much to talk about no matter what the gap is in uh, in your years of performing. Yeah. Well, I think one of the things that probably gets people into stand-up comedy is just... I, I don't think you enter into stand-up comedy without, without having gone through things in your life to give you that inspiration. Because, uh, I mean, I think some of the funniest stuff is, ta- is people talking about their own, their own personal experiences and just turning it around to make it funny, you know, so that yeah. everybody else can, can enjoy it. I, I always try to say this because it was, it was a, you know, it was a breaking moment for me back when I didn't know like what do you talk about what are you going to do I used to think now it doesn't mean this isn't a a type of great comedy you know to uh, to uh, tap into something you know whether it's emotional or whether it's political or whether it's uh, social but it can also be a silliness but good comedy comes from inside and that's but what confused some people what about can silly of course you know whether it's Jonathan Winters or whether it's Steve Martin or whether it's Someone like Kevin Meany, or whether it's you know it's some you could be extremely silly and it still comes from somewhere you know it's it's an inventive silliness. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, it it I, and again, I don't think you have to be miserably a comedian. No, not at all. You don't have to be miserable. Some people might be, but I don't think you have to be miserable. Yeah, it's um, and it's it's funny because like I said, I've been I've been a fan of stand up for a while. There was a point in my life where I actually did want to I did want to get into it, and I actually did try it. Uh, I did two openers. And it's funny because the first time I ever did it, it, I had no idea I was even going to do it. I had spoken to a comedian friend of mine who, uh, you know, who traveled around a lot, did the college circuits and things like that. Where'd you do it? Do you remember the club? Uh, it wasn't a club. I actually opened at a college. Oh, oh, no. I'm sorry. My second kid was at a college. The first time I did it, it was at, um, there used to be a comedy club at, in the Hilton in Cherry Hill. Oh, I remember that. And I can't remember. Yeah, Claritin. It turned into later. I think yeah, that. and I can't remember what the name of the club was. Wasn't it the Comedy Cabaret? 
Was it a comedy cabaret? I'm pretty sure it was. It might have been then. Um, but anyway, not that that matters. <laughs> yeah, but I, I was funny because I was communicating back and forth with a comedian friend of mine who was asking me like about material and things like that. And I maybe only had a, maybe two or three minutes of material at that. And I went out to see him one night and he asked me, you know, how it was going. And he said, do you think you could, you think you're ready to do it? I said, no, not at all. He said, well, he's like, I need another opener. He said, so do you want to open for me? I said, no, not at all. I don't want to do it. He's like, well, you're going to do it. I said, oh, like, I, don't, I really don't want to do it. I said, because what if I go up there and I bomb? And he told me, he's like, we all bomb. Everybody bombs. He's like, and you're in front of a bunch of strangers. He's like, these are the best people to bomb in front of because they're never going <coughs> to, you're never going to see these people again. Um, he said, just go up there, give me, you know, get, give me as long as you can. And once you feel like you're starting to lose the crowd, just introduce me and I'll come out. And I went out there, and you could tell just by looking at me, my hand was shaking like yeah. crazy microphone. You could probably hear it in the microphone, <laughs> how bad I was shaking. And I went into the introduction that I did, and the moment I got the first laugh, like my it was solid as a rock. Like it was just like as soon as I realized they were laughing at the material and not at me, I went on, and I ended up doing probably about three or four minutes until I, I just ran out of what I had right, and I introduced right. them. So it's a tough gig. I admire anybody that does it, and I applaud anybody that can do it. Yeah, well, what's the best part about comedy is the same as what's the worst. When it, what's the best part about it is when it's going great, it's all you. Yeah. Basically, you write, you direct, you edit, you star, mm. you do everything. It's, it's, but that's why when it's great, it's really great. And that's why when it's, you know, but that's what's so awesome about it. And yeah. That's the same thing they should do with television because when you let someone have a vision and you don't interrupt that vision, you're going to win mostly. Yeah. You know. When you when you go out and you perform, do you still have those gigs every I'm sure you probably do, but do you still have those gigs every once in a while that after the end of your set you walk off the stage and you just think to yourself, I, I just fucking nailed this. Like this was... Oh, you know what? I, I, I don't think it gives the. Li- By the way, when it comes to, I, I'm going to be paranoid and say this. I love talking about stand-up comedy, so I should say that first. That's what we're doing right now. Yeah, I yeah, love yeah. it. But I always get paranoid because I remember growing up listening to Steve Allen, and he was a comedian from the older days, and he was a guy that was always telling, talking about. I, and I used to go, "Oh, why doesn't he stop talking about stand-up comedy and just be funny?" Mm-hmm. So I thought, "Oh, is that what I do?" And the difference was he was complaining about it. Oh, comedy today, comedy today, comedy today. I was like, "Shut the fuck up." comedy today you're not even out there knowing what's going on yeah. complaining about comedy and I don't think I'm like that because as you as we just talked about I think comedy is in a great place mm-hmm. and there's a ton of great comedians out there right now but I do like to break it down and, and, and it is fun and also it's good for me because it reminds me of oh remember what to do I, I might be saying it but I'm also learn, relearning it myself mm-hmm. and always reminding myself so the, um, the as far as going out there and um question you just asked as far as yeah i don't i i think it's it's if you, if you never can admit god that went great then it looks just like you're always like woe is me like yeah. oh that didn't go well no if it goes well there, there's nights i know usually two minutes out onto the stage if they're going to be the crowd that i love mm-hmm. now that doesn't mean if they're not the crowd that i love that you know let's say the best crowd is a 10 out of 10 10 out of 10 that's the best you know for a stupid number scale yeah it doesn't mean after that it's a two you know, sometimes you can work them a little and get them where you need them. But you know, the only difference is I used to worry that crowds would like me, and now I worry I'll like them. Okay. It changes a little bit. Uh, it, yeah, it changes a little bit like that. But I still get yeah, you still get nervous. You know, I think I referenced in this book, I remember 
opening up for somebody and they I think it was George it was George Jones and he said yeah. or is the crowd how's the crowd how's the crowd and I was like do you really care how the crowd is but of course years later I went you always care how the crowd is yeah because you know? yeah because you had mentioned other stories about I think even when you when you did the Broadway thing with Patty LaBelle which you mentioned in the book too uh, you know all the different people that you've opened for and including her herself you know would ask you how's the crowd every yeah. once in a while I never knew I didn't even know who some of these people were like I would just have to learn because when I was opening up for some of them, my man, well, the owner of the Comedy Works, who sort of served as my manager, helping me, he would always say, "Well, they're going to be on the Tonight Show tonight, so watch them." Yeah. And that's how I, I think it would maybe help me not be as nervous because uh, it probably was a good idea. Yeah. Speaking, I mean, speaking of the Tonight Show too, what was uh, I, I haven't gotten this far in the book, so I don't know if you mention it or not. Um, who who was the first talk show that you ever did? Like who was the you know I never did I never you know it it's it's my own fault. I'm not good at putting together tight sets, mm-hmm. and 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 you know when when you can realize something's your own fault when it is it's you know it's a lot better because mm-hmm. if you don't you'll just be bitter thinking there's some evil force against you and sometimes I get a little frustrated that I think you know I've never done the Tonight Show oh well I've done the Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon but I've never did the Tonight Show with Jay yeah. Jeez, that's annoying. Um, <laughs> let me turn that off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I never, you know what? I never did the Tonight Show because when I did Jimmy Fallon, he was still still late night, late night. Yeah. And I never, and I, and I did Conan years ago, like probably twenty years ago when he first came on the air. Mm-hmm. I think it was about twenty years ago. Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, and uh, I never did Letterman, which I'd really. There's two things I'd really like to do, and and I thought maybe the book would lead to that is Letterman and Stern. I would love to do Howard Stern, mm-hmm. but the show that I did the most was, and they really let me just be really. I can't believe how loose they let it be. Uh, was uh, Jimmy Kimmel? Because mm-hmm. my friends would be like, "When are you going over your set for Jimmy Kimmel?" And I'd be like, "I don't. They, you don't go over your set." I go, if I'm doing a bit, I go over it, you know, like a, you know, yeah. we go over that with a producer, like, ah, oh, Jimmy, you'll do this, you'll do this. Yeah, we go over it very, very loosely. But when it came to my stand-up, no. Uh, they would ask me if there was anything that standard and practices, is there, is, there, is there a product you mentioned? And because I never broke that trust, it was pretty much, my friends like, you don't, because all the other shows, I mean, they go over and go over and go over mm-hmm. it. So that's probably why that show worked for me because I'm not good at putting together tight five minute sets. And 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 Jimmy would let me sort of play like you know I'm, I've done stand up comedy there and then walked over to the panel because I saw somebody laugh really hard and high five them. Really? Yeah, because it was just like they seemed to like that type of playing. Yeah. And uh, so that worked for me. So I've done that show I think I, I'm pretty close to almost probably 15 times really? since it's yeah. been on the air and it's and it's a fun show to do. Yeah. Um, I know when going back to like Comedy Central and things like that, uh, as far as I know, we were mentioning Chris Hardwick and things like that. One of the shows I know you you were on that I've been a fan of since the first episode, and I was really excited to find out that you were on it. Uh, it's his show at midnight, and I think and you, you. Yeah, it's yeah. hard for me to do that. Believe it or not, I don't know if that's going to happen again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I've been wondering if you were. Are you? Like good friends with Chris, or you? I know, you know, I'm I'm very friendly with Chris. You know, mm-hmm. we don't hang on a daily basis, but yeah. like I said, most comedians we have the same manager. Okay. So, uh, and uh, I've known Chris for a, a long time, and I've always thought he was a uh, he's he's a nice person. Yeah. Well, I mean, because one of the things I love about that show is it's really opened me up to a lot of different comedians I had never heard of before, and just the uh, 
you know, just the material that they bring up, especially, you know, on the spot and things like that. Uh, it, it's just, it's really made me fans and it's, it's gotten me to check out and open up about different comedians that I've never heard of before. Yeah, they really have a, a lot of great comedians yeah. on that show. Uh, I fl- I, uh, f- I'm, a, I don't, I'm not a destination TV watcher, but I flip a lot. Mm-hmm. And every time I flip, you know, and actually you just saying that made me think of it. But there's a lot of people that are on that show that, yeah. uh, that are funny, you know, really funny people. Yeah, I know two, uh, of two people off the top of my head that I've become big fans of. Just Name because, them. Um, Ron Funches. Ron is great. Who you've had on your yeah. Your Ron show. is Ron is just you know Ron is awesome. Yeah, and uh, Paul F. Tompkins. Paul F. Tompkins. Is, and I think you've had on your show. Yeah, Paul. yeah. Paul's been on a lot. Um, I've just become huge fans of theirs <laughs> because just I, I laugh every time they are on that show. Paul's great, and and there's that's what that's the whole thing with social media today. Being you know having podcasts and um, and uh, television being you know more reasonable to produce. You have a lot more TV shows. And by, by the way, and there's a lot of great TV. You know, I, th- I always try to look at the positive side of it is that a lot of people will go, oh, there's so much shit on TV today. And there is. But guess what? There's also a tremendous yeah. amount of great television. Yeah. And not only the, one of the types of television that I love is the um, sort of the, 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 the obscure stuff on, you know, like on Adult Swim and stuff like that, which I love. And Bob's Burger. Or, you know, mm-hmm. I'm a big Family Guy fan and stuff like that. But also just good old traditional, you know, sitcoms, mm-hmm. uh, you know, have been on the air. You know, like good old just regular, you know, uh, shows. I know everybody loves Raymond isn't on the air anymore, but, you know, it was on the air a few years ago. Yeah. So there's that type of shows that are still out there. And then there's all these little niche shows. Television, you know, is a gr- in, in a great place. Yeah. Speaking of television, you've actually been on an episode of I have two favorite sitcoms that still to this day hold my top two spots. Uh, so still hold my top two spots in my favorite sitcoms of all time. They're no longer on the air, but you've actually been on both. One of them was Friends. You did an episode of Friends. And the other one was Home Improvement, which is probably <laughs> my still still my favorite sitcom to this day. I've done like oh, – go ahead. I'm sorry. No, that was that was pretty much yeah. – I was just going to say you did – you played the role of uh, – Of Tim Allen's dad Tim Allen's in dad. a dream sequence. A lot of people yeah. are like, wait, how would you play Tim Allen's dad? I think you might be younger than him. Yeah. But uh, in a dream sequence when his dad, when his dad was young – you know, I, I do very little, very little roles. I'm not good at the audition process. Mm-hmm. And I don't, it, I do well with my own work. I did a pilot about, uh, with um, uh, Happy Madison, which is Adam Sandler's company. Mm-hmm. And it was a big pilot. And I thought the night before we were going to shoot, you know, the week long shoot for this pilot, I thought no one's checked if I could act. <laughs> And I always thought I could act because when I'm doing my own work, I can act. Because you're in charge of, you know, uh, we got that or this. But when it comes to going on the audition process, I do horrible. So any of the roles that I've done have been like very little, which I'm always happy. Like I'm the only actor when they go, we cut your other line. I'm like, good. Because even those little lines are so hard to remember. And, And with the Friends thing, I, I think I audition once or twice for Friends, and I, I just do horrible. And um, Matthew Perry had come out to Largo one night. It was a comedy club. And um, I had a joke that we had both talked about afterwards. And he's like, you know, we had somebody fall out for tomorrow. I bet you could do it. He goes, but it's a little role, and we don't reuse people because we don't like to see it. Hey, that guy delivered the pizza. Now yeah. he's on the airplane harassing. So that's how I got it. I just he just and I went in the next day and I just did it. I didn't even audition for it. But um, and it was so small. And I remember asking him. It was the opposite. I I go, is it like really small? He goes, well, it's 
it's not great. It's not big. I go, oh, good. No, that's what I'm asking. <laughs> and I thought, oh, he thought I was being like, oh, is it, it better be big. I'm like, no, the smaller the better. Yeah. One line is enough for me to remember. <laughs> uh, going back to you know, going back to the stand-up and, and your gigs and things like that, there's a video that's online that's pretty much infamous. I know tomorrow night you're going to be at the Comedy Cabaret in Doylestown in Bucks County. Mm. Uh, and they even have it up on their site because it's part of them advertising you. There's a video online that's on YouTube of you dealing with a heckler. And that's one of the things that I actually love about your stand-up is you pull no punches. You know, she really wasn't a heckler. What happened was... Oh, she was harassing the... She was talking you know, the before waitress. the other... And I think what happens at comedy clubs... Um, I'm good. Um, is... I, by the way, you, you stumbled upon something that recently I really, it doesn't matter if I'm right or wrong, but I want to work on it a little bit mm-hmm. because even if the audience agrees with you, when you yell at somebody, even the people that agree with you, still it's, it's, it rattles people a mm-hmm. little. And this woman was talking before the show, before the other, when the other comedian was on, she was in the back of the room talking and I just politely shushed her. And people don't realize this, but a lot of people have a sense of entitlement and at a comedy club the customer isn't always right or they couldn't exist or a theater they couldn't always exist and I think that's what rattles people is that when you're at a restaurant if you say the food isn't good the food isn't good you know they don't argue with you no that soup is good so when a full-grown adult is to be told to shush they get really offended to the point of like you would you thought if, if you showed people a video if you put a, vi- a tight shot on a table and then you showed a doorman you know, and then you just showed the reaction. You showed a group of people the reaction. You go, was this person just told to politely be quiet, or did that doorman uh, call um, everyone at the table a fucking idiot and tell them to shut up? And then guess by the, just the reaction of the table, mm-hmm. everyone would go. He told them obviously to be there are fucking idiots to yeah. shut up because they looked that way. Like what? What can you? Who? No, you're wrong. They were told politely to be quiet. Yeah. And I sort of get off on. You know, those people get away with that. You know, those are the same people that would go to a restaurant and make somebody cry, a waiter or a waitress, because they were being rude. But maybe that person needs their job, so they have to swallow their dignity. Mm-hmm. And I always figure that person's been on a path of being an asshole. And sometimes it's fun to go, you know what? It fucking stops here. The only thing I don't do, and that's why I'm not embarrassed of that video. I never want to use names. Sometimes when you get angry, you use names like fat or you might say whore. Yeah. That's the stuff when I get in the car, I go, oh, I would have just reamed them a new ass. Is that the right term? Uh, reamed them a new ass. Yeah. yeah reamed them a new asshole. Or yeah. yeah. With just dealing with what they did without using verbiage that doesn't have anything to do with anything. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with myself. And I didn't. I made sure I never said anything like that. But, um... It, it sort of get off on. It's like you've been on a path of doing this and all of a sudden you're here and they can't believe it that they're getting talked to like that. It's like, yeah, yeah, you, you know, you don't get to talk to people like that. Yeah. She, well, by the way, for the, for the audience listening, I guess that's everybody but me and you. <laughs> when I asked her to be quiet, you know, it wasn't a big deal. I didn't know it was going to turn into this. I did the shush where you sort of hunch down a little. To me, that's, you know what I mean? You lower your shoulders. Yeah. And you, to me, what, I know what that means in my head, and I think of what it means in everybody's head. You know when you cut somebody off and they look at you, and you lower yourself and apologize, you put your hands up, it means you lower yourself. You're saying, I bow to you. Sort of yeah. like, I'm sorry, you know, oh, I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off. Most reasonable people in the other car know that look. And it, they all of a sudden, they go, when I, I scrunched down, I went, shh, like a nice way. And she gave me the finger. Now, she didn't know I was a comedian. And I remember just thinking, 
You gave me the finger. You thought I was the manager of this restaurant. You gave somebody the finger that you knew couldn't give it back to you yeah. or you thought couldn't give it yeah. back to you. No, I didn't give her the finger back to her because I'm not going to mirror that type of behavior. But I thought, who are you? And I don't mean it like, who are I? Who the fuck are you? You just gave someone the finger. That's not even good at your age when, you can, when someone can give it back to you. Who drives around giving people the finger when they cut them off? Let alone someone that can't return it to you? Yeah. You gave someone the finger that can't return it to you? What are you, a fucking monster? I don't care if you are decent looking, meaning you don't look like a monster. Your insides are of a monster. So I thought, take a deep breath. Go on stage, win the do comedy first, get the audience to like you, and then deal with it. Yeah. And for the rest, you have to go to YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, because it's I mean, there's comments on that YouTube video that that go both ways, and that's the way. That's just the way YouTube and social media. Ninety five percent of them are are pro. Oh yeah, they're all on your side. Most but no, there's about five percent that say comedians should be able to handle that. Yeah. Yeah. And so the the thing that I hate to say they mo that I hate that people say the most, but I don't comment on video clips. I sometimes want to go in and straighten everybody out, but I don't. I never comment ever. Not once have I commented. You know, gone in uh, when they say it's a woman, it's typical woman. It's not. It's men and women that heckle at comedy clubs. Yeah. It's men and women that heckle at comedy clubs. It just happens to be a woman in this case. Yeah. Men are just as bad. It's I don't see it overwhelmingly being women at all. And I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And it's one of those things that I think you even said when you turned around and you, you were reaming around is the fact that this is the kind of person that's gotten away with this up until this point. She's done this before. She wouldn't have done it this time if she hadn't gotten away with it before. So, and you called her out on it. Like, you just you just flat out, I think you even said that, like I said in the rant, that she's gotten away with it before, but yeah. she's not getting away with it this time. Can you imagine if an usher at a concert, like I've been at a, I went to see in Vegas, sometimes I'll go to see a performer, mm -hmm. and I've been, I, I peeked at my cell phone, and I've been, put your cell phone away. Can you imagine, that's what I always think, before you're hard on somebody else, ask yourself, Todd. Come on, you'd never give someone the finger, ever? And, the, and then you answer the question. You go, no! I can't even imagine it. I'm not a saint. But I can't imagine an usher going, hey, you have to put away your phone. Uh, and I turn and go, hey, hey, fuck you, with my finger. Hey, fuck you. Yeah. And that's a, who she is. It's a challenge of authority. I mean, it's, like you said, you know, pulling out your phone. I've been in that situation before, too, where I've looked at my phone during a concert and been told, you know, to put it away. It's... It's the rule of the venue. It's you do what you're supposed to do, and it's like you said, you do that crouch down because you kind of you know you're in the wrong, and you yeah you you fix it. But so anyway, <laughs> um, excuse me for coughing. <laughs> uh, one of the things that I that I know about you is the fact that at least it seems to me that you are a very busy person. You're, you're constantly touring. You have your show. Uh, I know you do a lot of guests. I know you've done stuff on Tosh before and things like that. Uh, how do you, what do you like to do in your free time if you have any free time? I mean, it's. Well, I know this is probably a cliche answer, but for me, like, my vacation is being at a comedy club mm -hmm. that I really. By the way, like, I'm going to say it again. Like, let's say 10 is the best comedy club. You know, 10 is the best. There's a lot of eights and nines, and that's still a great club, an eight or a nine. You're still. But I'm talking about a 10. Yeah. I'm talking about like Helium or Washington, D.C. Improv or, you know, the, uh, you know, a club like that or the Acme in Minneapolis or Atlanta Laughing Skull. When I'm at those, and that's because they've cultivated this 
audience that treats comedy like the theater. Mm. You know, they know, they get it, and they're brilliant. And they and you want. And by the way, remember when I said I'm worried that the audience? I used to be worried that the audience would. I would like the audience. Now I'm worried. I used to be worried that the audience would like me. Now I'm concerned that, like that I'm gonna like the audience. It changes a little in a club like that when they deem themselves. Yeah, they, these are great audiences, mm-hmm. and you you do want to please them because they've deemed themselves to be brilliant audience members. Yeah. So I'll, my vacation is go, going to a club like that, but going in a day or two early. Enjoy the city with no shows. Maybe hit like the alternative sort of one-nighters, mm-hmm. you know, where I don't have to be there, but I just go go around with a local comedian and we'll hit like two or three of them and hang out with comedians, smoke pot, and and then stay a day extra. So when I'm Sunday night doing my last show or Saturday night doing my last show, I don't have to get up the next day and fly out. Yeah. I enjoy it. Like the next day I'm going to get up at late, maybe go hang out with comedians again. To me, that's sort of, to me, that's what I consider a vacation. I've taken traditional vacations, but... Uh, it, it's very, it's very, I, I do miss the comedy. I went to the Bahamas about four years ago and there was a room and I thought, you know, this could be, this could be a comedy club. It's like mm. perfect. It had a stage for music. It had a PA system and um, there was nothing to do. And there was a tremendous amount of young people on the island. And uh, I asked the owner, well, actually a friend of mine, I go, go ask him. So today with YouTube, like they didn't, the people that own the place, they didn't, weren't aware that I was a comedian. Mm-hmm. But they must have gone on YouTube. They go, his name's Todd Glass. Look at him on YouTube. And the guy came back to me. He's like, yeah, we'll do a show. He goes, uh, you'll, we'll make the drinks and you can take the door. So um, they just flyered the island and uh, we did one show. It sold out. And then I'm like, let's do another show. <laughs> and I paid for the whole trip. I that's, paid for the whole trip. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's not a bad... So even on vacation, when you went away for, like, an actual traditional <laughs> vacation, you still wanted up, to perform. I ended up doing stand-up. I mean, well, it's fun. It's not like it's... You know, it's, it's a fun thing to do. Yeah. Do you still... I know you hear at times, you know, a lot of the... Uh, you know, some comedians, you know, like Robin Williams and Eddie Murphy and things like that, they just make surprise appearances at different clubs out in L.A., Basically, just to test new material and things like that. Do you, do you do that too, or do you just pretty much just throw it into your gigs when you have when you tour? Well, like I said, like going in town a night early and like yeah. maybe hitting those. Hitting oh, okay, the, that's yeah. That, I'll I'll do stuff like that, and and that's a little less pressure because you know no one's paying to see you. So you yeah. still want to do well. You don't want to like hop up and and bomb. But yeah. it's fun to do those shows. You know, it's because uh, you know it's it's no pressure at all. You can't have some new material. Although I'll try out new material even on a Saturday show at a comedy club. But yeah. So you can always try out new material. But yeah, I see a lot of those guys that sort of... In New York, you see a lot of that, I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, you see in L.A. too, people popping up. You know, not... Like, you'll go to L.A. and see some shabby bar show. And then you'll see, like, you know, yeah. Bill Burr pop up or, like, the Sarah Silverman. And then you see... I love those shows because you'll see a, a three-year comedian, a six-year comedian, a 30-year veteran, a 20-year veteran... This is everybody. Everybody. It's uh, just a nice mix of. It's a nice mix. All the generations of comedy. Yeah. Do you um? Oh shit! I forgot what the question was. That's all right. <laughs> my, my That's moment. my life. Um. Uh. Oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> I had a I had a question in my head and I, I know that feeling. You know what? Make yourself an edit. Think of it. Yeah. Let's see if we can think of it. Ah, oh, damn it! For a million dollars. <laughs> That's a game show we play when I you go for a million bucks. Could you think of it? Yeah. I love, by the way, what you did on. Uh, it's going back once again. You did when you did Chris's podcast. 
I guess how how long ago did you record that? Because I know it just he just we put just it did it like a week ago. Okay, so pretty pretty. The way pretty. you guys ended the oh, podcast with the, with the phone call that was I had never heard of anything like that before. And when you guys were describing it, it's hard to. I, I, I couldn't put my head around. I'm like, how is that funny? It, it's something and, funny about to explain to your listeners that this is the bit I started doing with Chris. I called Chris once. I do it with my friends all the time. Like me and Roy Scovel do it all the time. And uh, I called Chris Hardwick. It was like some phone meeting about a, something we were working on. And uh, I said, hey, guys, before I go, you want to do something really funny? Because I was on a speakerphone, like in a conference room. Mm-hmm. And, I, and the thing is, you bare your soul. You go, you know, I, I think I, I just haven't... I feel like nothing's going right for me. I just want to take my life. And you just go on and on. And my dog died. And then the other people just... Hang on. And you think, well, how can that be funny? Well, it's funny for you because you're playing the role of the, the person that's yeah. complaining. And you, bit or not, someone hangs up on you in the yeah. middle of all that. And all of a sudden, and it's funny for them because the cold, who would be pouring their heart out to you? And then you're just not in the mood. You go, click, yeah. one push of a button. And so it, it is funny for both parties once they hang up. Anybody listening, try it. It's, it's a very I think funny as long thing. as both parties are in on it. Well, of course, of course. Especially if you do it around people that have no idea. I think that's even where some of the funny could come into it, too. There's people in the room that have no idea you're going to do it. Well, they both have to be... I think they both have to know because if you really poured your heart out to somebody, they would never hang up on you for real. Well, I mean, mean in the case of, like, if you were calling Chris and Chris had other people in the room... And you and Chris were in on it, but nobody yeah, else in the room yeah. was in on it. It's, it's, you know what it is? We do another bit like it. Like as some friends of mine are leaving my house sometimes, I always walk like as they're getting in their car. You know, I'll walk outside and talk to them as they're getting in their car. Mm-hmm. And then once they get in their car, there's like three people in the car. And I'll go, you know, guys, um, I lately I, I just have not been happy and I've been so depressed. And when you guys are here, it's really the only time that I, I forget about all my problems and I'm laughing and I'm having fun and... I just want to thank you for coming by tonight because, quite frankly, it's I, I've been I've been thinking about just ending it all lately. And when you're here, I can smile. And then they just they go, "Okay, cool," and they drive off. And it's so <laughs> it's so it's so giddy, silly. And they always call me thirty seconds later in the car because they're laughing uncontrollably in the car. Like, who would do that? And the same thing. I'm sitting in front of my house all by myself, and I am giggling that it is so absurd and so over the top. And I can just picture it too. That's what makes it so damn funny. It's like that's something you would see on like a bit on a television show. Yeah, it's, like it's very. It's, it's that's hysterical. It's, um, yeah, I remembered the question. Good, there we go. I knew you'd think of it. Um, I know when you perform, you know, at different clubs and things like that, sometimes with the surprise appearances that you're doing and things like that, like you said, how you like to visit different clubs and just try them out. Uh, You're not always, you know, the closing act. You're not always the headliner. Are are there still people that, you know, will turn around and say to you, hey, would you mind opening for me? I mean, do you still, do you mind? Oh, yeah, no, not at all. Matter of fact, it depends who it is, but... uh, you know, actually opening for people has let me be very picky when it comes to... I'm still a comedy club act. In mm-hmm. other words, you know, I'm not a theater act yet. Yeah. Uh, I'm still a comedy club act, and which I'm happy to be. You know, I mean, obviously I want to go to that. Uh, that was another thing I was going to ask yes, you. Yes, yes. Of course I do. But but while I'm here, genuinely, no bullshit, I, I cherish that I can, you know, fill comedy clubs. And, mm-hmm. and, I, and I do like, while I'm working comedy clubs... I love to get somewhere, get comfortable, and then do five nights there. Every night walk into tranquility in the perfect situation, in the green room the way I want it, and it's nice to do that. But 
uh, opening for people has let me be very picky at the clubs that I want to work. I don't have to, if it's not a club I really like, I don't have to work it because of opening. I mean, I'll open for, you know, the, the, the mainly, it's like Sarah Silverman, a decent amount, David Spade, uh, Louis C.K., David Cross, and Atosh, and Jim Gaffigan mm-hmm. are probably the six that I could say sort of go through my rotation opening up for them. And um, I love it. Because I wouldn't always want to do 20 minutes. I mean, it's fun to do an hour. And, yeah. and, and you know, 20 minutes wouldn't fill me if that's all I was doing. But um, when you're doing it, oh, it's, it's pure joy. Because you're working big theaters, you know, sometimes, you know, two, three, five, you know, 6,000 people. Mm-hmm. And you're doing 20, 25 minutes. And then you can enjoy the show. And I would say most of the time, 75% of the time, after I'm done my show, I'll go take a seat all the way in the back of the theater or stand on the side somewhere and in a little cove and watch the show. Yeah. And then you go out after the show and you eat dinner and you hang out. So opening up for acts is 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 so much fun. And also the tour bus thing is <laughs> is it doesn't get any better than that. I mean, I love and obsessed with the tour bus. Really? Yeah, it's just it's so you know, we're, it's not like we're a band that has 20 people. That could be a little much being yeah. in a tour bus. Um I love about conversations like this too. You lose track of time. I know. It does. I got like forty minutes in. <laughs> so I'll just take off from the tour bus. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, we were talking about the tour bus. Uh, it's just, it's just so much fun because you know you don't lose that. There's no downtime. Mm-hmm. You know, you a lot of times what would happen was depending on how far the next job was, and we were saying as far as we're, it's only two or three of us in the bus. It's not like there's twenty of us. Yeah. So we have our we have enough room. There's usually two bathrooms on most of them. So there's a back bathroom and a front bathroom, and you after a show you'll either the driver will either say go out after the show if you want because we don't want to leave till one in the morning so you can go out have a fun night after your show go out to dinner you know enjoy the city or whatever and then you get on a tour bus and you you, you know you, you hang out for a little while uh, you watch tv watch a movie and then you go to bed and it's like while you're sleeping it's like if your bed started up and drove down the highway yeah. and it's comfortable i mean they're really comfortable they don't design those things to be uncomfortable you know the mattresses, everything on them is is. Yeah. Well, you're spending so much time in them nowadays. Yeah. It's, so when you when you do those opening acts, like you said for Sarah Silverman and you know or Louis C.K. Right. or whoever, and you're only doing 20 minutes and you walk off that stage, and you know you feel the crowd even that only having given them 20 minutes. Do you ever walk off that stage and just think to yourself like I really want this for myself? Like I really. At some point, like to, yeah, to yeah you, you, that. absolutely. You know, I always say like, and again, remember what I said. A lot of the things I say, it's it's not because I'm preaching. It's also because I'm reminding myself. You know, part of trying to have a good head on your shoulders doesn't mean that you don't have uh, you don't get jealous. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when you say you get jealous, people go, "Oh, you shouldn't be jealous." I go, whoa, whoa, jealousy is not a, 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 a jealousy is not bad. It's what you do with the jealousy. Bad. Do you turn it into motivation? Or do you turn it turn it into bitterness? I try to turn it into uh, motivation. Mm-hmm. But if oh, I get jealous a lot. You know, there's times because I th- I think you know I would like to have that, and I would like to. But I really, genuinely, am also 
appreciative what I do have. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some comedians that that I thought were the next to pop, you know, 20 years ago. And they're, some of them aren't even doing stand-up comedy. And I'm not saying that to be mean. I'm saying that to be appreciative mm-hmm. of what I do have. So you get jealous, uh, but... Uh, but again, also, I very quickly go, look, you know, you can tour, you work great comedy clubs, try to be appreciative also what I, you can be jealous of what you don't have, but follow it up with being appreciative of what you do have. And I know that sounds like maybe no shit, sort of uh, five and dime, you know, motivational speaking, but it, it, it's, it, it's what I do, genuinely. Um, I can I can only imagine that. And it's- <laughs> I'm not telling the truth. <laughs> Why? Why? <laughs> You know, there's somebody out there. You know, uh, there's probably a little truth to that. There, I think there's a little bit. Of truth. Well, not the screaming. I was very no, no. That's no. why I'm honest with that. Like, you know, you don't try to. I think it sounds like bullshit if you try to be too overly. Admit that you're jealous, and absolutely. But then, you know, I don't. I'm not a depressed person. You know. By the way, I have a theory in this business, and I believe it's true. And I told my neighbor this who who uh, taught an acting class. Mm-hmm. Hold on. And I said, now, I couldn't say this if I was, you know, uh, uh, Zach Galvanakis right now or Will Farrell, or mm-hmm. someone that was, you know, very, very, you know, making millions of dollars a year. I couldn't say it. But where I'm at my career, I think I can say it. Um, everybody, because it would come off self-indulgent if I was the other people mm-hmm. to explain why. But everybody, wherever you're at in your career, that's exactly where you belong. Now, I know my act, I told my friend that ca- casually in conversation. He told his acting class that, and they got mad. And I was like, I thought, why they got mad? Because that makes you take ownership of where you're at. Man. And if I look at my career and I go, why am I at where I'm at when I've been doing this such a long time? And some people start, you know, years after me. I meet young comedians. and Well, I don't do well in the auditioning process. I don't do well at putting together tonight, tonight's show. TV appearances. Mm-hmm. The acting is, if it's my own project, I think I could be very, do very well at it. So there's a lot of reasons. And the flip side of that, and believe me, this is something I genuinely use to be positive about. Uh, so, so anyway, what I was saying about, yeah, wherever you're at, that's where you belong. Now, that doesn't mean that some people don't get lucky, but, you know, people, but it didn't happen for you. That's like if your neighbor won the lottery. And you quit your job. You go, well, he won the lottery. Well, you didn't. Yes, he, even, and that's an even if, underlined a hundred times. Even if you do perceive other people in the comedy business or acting business got lucky. That's even. Because guess what? A lot of people ex- achieve an amazing amount of success, and they are talented. Not everybody that makes it isn't talented. I know a shit ton of comedians that started after me that are very talented and have sort of gone past me. Mm-hmm. Um, but the... Uh, now I... Forgot what I was going to say. Um, hold on, I was ramping it up. As far as being, um, you're talking about the class getting mad about that. Well, I, I, it, it helps you take responsibility, and I think looking at it from that perspective, if you take responsibility for it, won't that sort of wouldn't that be empowering yeah. to go that this there is a reason for this as opposed to there's some evil force over me that's making me not you know achieve what I want has nothing to do with me but oh here's what I was going to say so for me what I go to for the plus for me 20 years ago I wanted to you know be filling 3,000 seat theaters 20 years ago I was doing it 13 years you know I've been doing it a long time 
But I think the good thing that's happened to me is in the meantime, I became a different comedian. I really do believe if 20 years ago I would have had the type of success that I wanted, um, you know, I wouldn't have grown to be the comedian I, I am. So in the meantime, I've become, I think, a better comedian, more proud of what I do. So that is the good side of it, too. But I affectionately always say, but now I'm ready. <laughs> now I'm ready. I would love to see you play clubs like that. And I would absolutely go and see you at clubs like that, too. I mean, because you know, you have that. You have your um, your special is on Hulu right now. Yeah, my my uh, special was on Netflix, and then uh, it just it just after a certain period, it just went to Hulu. So I guess some people don't have Netflix. So I have both, yeah, because I've seen it on both. Yeah. I've, I've watched it on both. So I've watched it a couple times. Um, you mentioned the tour bus thing, and it got me to thinking too. Like I can only imagine sometimes how much fun it would be just. You guys, like three or four of you sitting on a tour bus, making each other laugh, or sitting in a booth at a diner, just it's, making each other laugh. I, like, I can't even imagine how much fun that could be. You know sometimes. what? It is everything. I don't have to have a tragedy happen in my life to go, oh, I never really appreciated that. I do. Yeah. I appreciate that comedians get to act like, I don't know what grade to say, but I would say like... You know, I always say like, you know, high school, you get to act like you're in high school for the rest of your life. You know, that sort of just silliness and, you know, and you're, you know, and see high school kids hanging out, they're doing bits. They don't, might not call them bits, but everyone's got this frenetic energy and comedians are very, a lot of fun to hang out with. And whether you're right, whether we're sitting in a restaurant late at night or on the tour bus, it's everything you think it would be. And by the way, it's not all you would think. What I, what I really like about stand-up comedians is that they offer everything, like they offer the silliness, but they also, all, also I think, offer a tremendous amount of depth and honesty mm-hmm. and soul-bearing. So it's not like this vampid surface-like friendship. It's everything. It's yeah. it, we, you can and, you know you can have a great serious conversation. You can have a great social conversation. But the majority of the time, it's just doing bits. It's just doing bits. It's one bit after another bit after another bit. You know, like three nights ago, I was sitting in a diner and James Adomian was doing this impersonation of a waiter. That I, I won't get into what it was, but and he did it over and over and over. And we were li- we were literally sitting there like banging the table. And the way it works with comedians, then someone else goes, let me do it. And then you get up and you play the, the waiter that we were imitating. And then the other person gets up and plays the waiter that they... <laughs> So it's it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I know one of the things I had mentioned earlier about you know how I, I had given it a shot. Uh, I think what one of the things that led me to try it was almost a situation that was similar to that. We, a group of us in college, had gone out and we were always going to this one diner and everything like that. And I was always the one guy at the table that had everybody laughing. And it was basically it was no written material, it was no bits. I was basically just feeding off of everybody at the table. I was going what everybody was giving me, even if they meant to give it to me or not. To the point where I had people at booths, but you know, behind us and in front of us, you know, laughing. We had waitresses laughing. And it was one couple that was sitting in a booth next to us that turned around and said, "You should really give that a shot." I just found the writing of actually putting the bits together to perform the hardest part. Like, I don't know if you find it, if, if that's the same thing. I don't know if it's the performance that's the hardest part for you. I don't know if, I'm sure at this point in your career, you're, you're used to the performance. So the performance is second nature to you. Do you find the writing of material <coughs> d- difficult to be the difficult part of stand-up? You know, I have noticed 
that the more you talk about what really is passionate to you, mm-hmm. the more the writing just will never stop. Yeah. And, you know, even, not that I talk about my sexuality a lot on stage, but obviously after, you know, um, busting out of the shed, <laughs> as I like to call it, instead of coming out of the closet. And again, it's not like my act has turned into talking about that. Mm-hmm. Not that I think there's anything wrong with that, but it's, you know, there, there's, uh, you know, it just, just isn't something that, that I talk about right now. Yeah. And I'm not, it's not something I even want to talk about right now and I'm and suppressing it. It's just not what comes to me when I'm writing material. Yeah. It might, it might. So I'm not putting it off, off, uh, you know, I'm not saying it will never happen, but even, so you might think, well, then how did it free you up if you're not talking about your relationships? It freed me up in talking about other things mm-hmm. that I would perceive to be not manly before. Mm-hmm. So I would just not talk about it, you know. Yeah. So it has freed me up a lot on stage okay. to uh, to be more tap into what really, you know, you know, what 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 I obsess on sometimes, mm-hmm. you know. So the more you more you talk about that type of stuff, the more I think the material sort of you'll never run out of uh, you'll never run out of things to talk about. Yeah. Uh you mentioned going to clubs and things like that and, and going to perform. Do you ever go to a, a show just to to watch? Like you see a comedian that's coming to town and just be like, hey, you know, I haven't seen this guy before. I haven't seen him in a while. And well, it's it- funny you say that because I was just talking with, you know, one of the, one of the uh, on my podcast, one of the guys that does the uh, sort of the soundboard. He's a young comedian. His name is uh, Jake Adams. And we'll, he, he goes to see, like, he'll, he'll go, I'm going to see Bill Burr one night. And I'm like, ah, oh, like, I want to go see Bill Burr. Mm-hmm. I want to go see Bill Burr not doing 10 minutes, because that I do. I'll see him, like, at 10 minutes at Largo or, like, mm-hmm. jumping around. But I do want to do that. And that's why, like, I feel like in New York, you could go see those guys at Caroline's. You know, somebody that you're, you want to go see, or, like, Brian Regan or somebody like that, to go just see them do it. Paul F. Tompkins, yeah. uh, Pat Oswalt. Um, so I, I do want to do that, but I don't do it that often. But uh, it is something that I want to do. And, and, you know, some people say, oh, I don't like going to see comedy anymore. Well, I, maybe you're not seeing the right comedy Man. because it is fun to go watch someone and just be an audience member. I don't want to do it all the time. And it has to be someone really fucking funny. Otherwise, I'm going to drift off and wish it was me up there. Yeah. I'm going to drift off to other places. But if it's someone that you're a big fan of, I, matter of fact, I did go to see Brian Regan about a year and a half ago. We, I was opening up for Jim Gaffigan, and we went into San Francisco a night early, and we all went to see Brian Regan, and holy shit. <laughs> I mean, it was so much fun. Right. And it also, this is not why I did it at all, at all, but it reminded me of what people go through when they go to see a show. Mm-hmm. you know. And we didn't have to obviously even wait in line or anything like that, so that... but. But still, we still had we still went out to dinner. We still, you know, we're at the hotel. We got ready. Mm-hmm. Went out to dinner. Take a cab to the comedy club. You know, we got went inside. Like you realize, it's a it's an event. Yeah. And it makes you respect it a little more. I already have a tremendous amount of respect, but it can it's, it's, it will never hurt for it to keep growing. Yeah, people are paying babysitters. They're paying to park. They're coming inside. They're buying drinks. They're you know they're doing all that stuff. Remember to uh, to value that it's not just a Thursday night, yeah. and it's, it's a night out for some people. It's, it is it, some people. It might be the only night out they have, you know, in a couple of weeks. Yeah, and and let me tell you something. If somebody's really trying their hardest and they're not having a good set, that 
I can enjoy watching. You know what I mean? <laughs> because if they're really trying, but for whatever the reason, and that usually won't, that's not going to happen to at a big theater because they're all coming to see them. That'll mostly happen like, you know, you picture New York, there's 20 comedians going up and one isn't not going over for that crowd. That audience isn't even there to see them maybe or whatever. If they're really trying and they're bombing, yeah, I, if I can get, I can enjoy that. But I don't think there's anything cute about thinking it's cool to bomb. You know, if you're trying and the, fuck the crowd if they don't like you. As long as you're up there doing what you think's funny, if they're not liking you, fuck it. Right. But, uh, but, but, but that's the end of my sentence. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, I know LA is big for comedy, New York is big for comedy. I, I've heard Chicago. I could be wrong about There's it. A, it's amazing. I don't know how certain cities... I, I, I know Philadelphia right now has a really cool yeah. uh, scene. You know, uh, Probably Helium has helped that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Atlanta. I mean, it's crazy. Atlanta, uh, I think Kurt... I'm going to say his last name wrong, so I'm just not even going to try to say it. He tweeted. I retweeted it because I felt the same thing. He goes, I'm in Atlanta at an open mic night scene. And if this is their open mic night... You know, something like watch out the rest of the... And I thought the same thing. I'm like, what? This is amazing. Uh, Minneapolis. And so it doesn't have to be the city you would think it would be. It doesn't have to be a metropolitan, you know, you would think. uh, Certain cities, I think, I don't know how it happens, but it cultivates this amazing new scene. Yeah. So uh, what was your original question? Oh, it's just what other cities would you you say are pretty large for... Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like Atlanta, Minneapolis... Uh, Philadelphia right now. Uh, there's probably some cities I'm forgetting, but uh, um, oh, Bloomington, Indiana. Really, I wouldn't expect that. Well, you know, it might not be as big as Atlanta, but there's a lot of great comedians, and the scene is really cool. And I bring my own act uh, pretty much everywhere I go, mm-hmm. unless it's one of those scenes where the club owner I deem has a good taste in comedy and will put someone ahead of me, like we were talking about. Yeah. You know, a club that you, you know, where the opening acts, you don't feel match the headliner. We don't yeah. have to say who. Yeah. Um, unless it's one of those clubs, I bring my own act. And at the laugh, at the comedy addict, uh, the owner, uh, Jared, I, I, he uses local acts and I'm happy because I like working with new people. If I think so, same thing with the Acme or Atlanta. I don't bring somebody because there's so many great comedians in that scene. And then you get to work with new people. Yeah. And that's fun. That's like new friends. Yeah. New friends. That's another thing about comedy. I never really thought about this. Making new friends. Like I have my old friends that I've had. I have my, I have the, my, from high school, I still have four of my same friends that we still talk. So I have my old friends, but there's nothing like making new friends. It's fucking fun. Yeah. You make new friends like that. You go out at night and you're excited and you're all hanging out with each other. So, you know, that's another great thing about comedy. There, um, now you don't have to mention any names uh, just because I don't think it would be right to anyway. But are there any acts out there that you see their success and... You you seriously wonder after seeing their acts how they're that successful, or do you think everybody's pretty well deserving of of where they're at right well, now? Well, there's look, there's definitely the comedy. Whenever I'm complaining about comedy around new people, you know, like you're on the road, I always take the time to say this up front. It's my, I actually literally have a what do you call it a disc, a disclosure? Mm-hmm. You know, let me say this before we do this. I love to complain about bad comedy. It's never a two-year comic. It's never a three-year comic, ever. Because 
they don't know what they're going to turn into. I don't even care if it's a two-year comic that is extremely derivative of a famous comedian. Sometimes you go back three years later and you go, fuck, look, you know, uh, they really came into their own. So it's always someone that's not going to change. But it's not, but it's just to do that. They're not preventing me from being where I'm at. So my anger does not come from that. And I genuinely believe that. I don't tell myself that. I believe it. And I know it's a fucking fact. Their success has nothing to do with my success or my non You know what I mean? You know, where I'm at in my career. Yeah. So with that put aside, because I see sometimes it creeps into that. Like, oh, there, because... No, 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 no. They, everything... You might not like their act, and we'll talk about it. But they're, they deserve everything they get. Everything they get, they deserve. <laughs> So, but the acts that get me very angry, you know, I was talking to my brother as a teacher and also my good friend Andrew as a teacher, and uh, my brother was saying something. It's not the teachers that teach differently than him that get him angry. You know, have a completely different way of teaching. You would think, well, why wouldn't that get you angry? No, I might disagree with it, but it's the teachers that don't give a fuck. They don't give a fuck. It's not that they teach differently. They don't give a fuck. Now, you might say, who's to decide? It's pretty apparent. A teacher might have a completely different way. They might think this is a good idea, but they care. But God damn it, you disagree with everything that they do. That's not the ones that get them angry. And that's how I feel about comedy. The comedians that, you know, genuinely, it's just not my thing. I'm not just saying it because I hate it. And I do think it's the worst thing in the world, and I'm trying to be polite. No, that's not what I'm doing. It's genuinely not my cup of tea. It doesn't get me angry. It's just like, eh, that's not my cup of tea. But it's the comedians that just don't give a shit. It's all tricks, and it's all manipulation, and it's all bullshit. And then I think to myself, is that good for me? Because I can get really angry about bad comedy. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can get like, it's a little bit comedic. You know, I'm like, you fuck. You know, it's but it's it's real too, and but I also love comedy that much. And you could say to yourself, "Well, why can't you just have the love part?" I don't think you can love it as much as I love when I see great comedy, when I see a new comedian that's funny, and I'll wait a whole open mic night till the end to go up and be like, "God damn it, you're funny!" I don't think you can love comedy as much as I love it, unless you despise the shit as yeah. much as I despise the shit. I don't think I think it's it's hand in hand. You can't just go, well get rid of the get rid of that anger towards the bad comedy and just put all your energy into that. Then you'll be it doesn't work that way. Yeah. So there might be comedians that don't get as angry as bad comedy as me, but they also don't love the good comedy as much as me. So um but no I never I never think how did they get that famous it's a big world out there and a lot of people like it. You know, like things that I don't like. So I totally get it. But, you know, you can have both. You know, I, I, I do want to be respected by my peers. But you can also have a tremendous amount of success and be respected by your peers. And I can't imagine not having the respect of my peers. I don't know if I have the respect of all my peers. But I'd like to believe that I have the respect of a decent amount of my peers. And I hope that doesn't sound cocky. But... The reason I hope it is because I work hard to to earn their respect, and I'm still trying to work hard. I still have shit in my act I get rid of, and you know, go I don't like that. Or you know, a friend of mine, uh, Jimmy Dore, said something a long time ago to a newer comedian, like when you're going through your act, how to you know trim and trim the fat. You know, Mm -hmm. even if you need it, keep it. You need it. You know, you're doing a college show. You need 25, 30 minutes. Keep it. But but when it's time to start trimming the fat. Say this to yourself. Think of one of your jokes and go, not would every single comedian on the planet repeat your joke. 
that that would never happen. But would one comedian that you respect hear your joke and repeat it? Would one comedian go, oh, I worked with a guy last week? Because we do that all the time. I'm hanging out with my comedian friends, mm -hmm. you know, whether I'm hanging out with like whoever, Jane Kirkman or, you know, or, or it could be Sarah Silverman or Paul F. Tompkins, all those names I've been mentioning throughout the show. And we'll, and we'll be like, oh, I worked with this new guy, probably like been doing it like two years. And we'll repeat jokes. So if the answer is, you, oh, by the way, the answer comes to you right away. You think of your joke and then you think, would any comedian anywhere be repeating this? And you'll just, your shoulders are fall and you'll be like, no. <laughs> and then you get rid of it. But if you need it for now, keep it for now. But when it's time to start trimming it, that's, that's how you yeah. think about it. Yeah. I know there's one joke that you did. I mean, your whole, your whole stand-up special, the one that's on Hulu and, and Netflix, at, had me laughing the entire time. But there's one, and it... It's actually mentioned in your book. There's one joke that's in there that just I've repeated. I've told the people at work just because I just found it hysterical. And it was the one about the towels at the hotel. <laughs> just when you called the front desk and asked them, you know, yeah, with the, uh, with the towel on the... On well, there's the, a towel hanging up. That, when, at the hotel, there, there's a sign. A towel hanging up means uh, I want to, I'll use it again. But a towel on the floor means I want a new one. So I called down to the front desk. I said, what's a washcloth on my night table? I mean, with a little lotion next to it. Um, yeah, um, but so, yeah, I mean, I'm happy, I'm happy to hear that, that that's, you know, that that would be a joke that would be repeatable. Yeah. Um, I also watch that special now. I guess it's a good thing, and I really think, oh, I could do better than that. When I watch that special now, it seemed like maybe because I was a little nervous. I wasn't nervous the whole show, but I was a little nervous. Mm -hmm. Um that I wasn't, my voice quality was not the same. It was like I was delivering it a little too hard, you know, like talking like I don't talk in regular life. And, mm -hmm. but, um, but, but I still, I'm, I'm okay with it. I mean, but I, but I wish I could redo it. How long ago was that recorded? Uh, two years ago. Two years ago? Two okay. years ago. Um, I know we're getting close to that. We're over an hour already. So I know we got to get good. close to wrapping up and, at some point. But, um, one of the things I thought about, too, when I was reading the book and I, I heard you on other podcasts and such, uh, there's two things. I know there's at least one thing in the book right now and there's one thing on the podcast that I heard. There, there's one event in the book that you talk about how you went – you did a corporate gig. I uh -huh. think it was IBM. You know, I, I – Or did you just mention IBM as, like an, as an example or – you know, if I mentioned anything, you're right, because I don't remember what corporation it was. So we, if, if, if in the book we mentioned somebody, it was purely just to make it up yeah. for story reasons. But it def the story is absolutely true. It's just I forget the company. Yeah, and it was just how, you know, people like uh, – I think it was I think your friend Katie at yeah. the time. Yeah. And you were <laughs> – when you were standing up at the bar, people who – you know, I'll send people to read the book so that they can get the full story, but – about uh, standing at the bar and being screaming yeah, out that she was pregnant. and A lot of times, it, to explain to your audience, um, when you do a corporate show, for a while they were hiring you to do comedy, but also they wanted to, to, to deliver it in a, a different way to the audience. They wanted to like not have you, hey, we have a comedian here tonight. It would be like, and the money for those corporate things is amazing. That's what keeps you doing it. Yeah. Otherwise, you wouldn't do it. They give me a stomachache. They ruin my month. Because if I'm doing it in 30 days, I start thinking about it. Mm. But the money is pretty good, so you do it. And this one here, they wanted me to come in. They were bringing in, oh, it's so fuzzy now, but a, a, a president that was not the vice president moving up. Mm. That's what was really going on. I'm pretty sure that's what was going on. So they were bringing me in as that guy. So there was a little contention, contention? Yeah. going on in the company. 
So they wanted to seat me at a table with everyone that was in on the joke. And I brought Katie, a friend of mine. And they wanted us to bring us there because everything would be all right until we roamed away mm-hmm. to the bar to get some drinks because I was so nervous. And then I, this sounds like a Three's Company episode. It was so <laughs> over the top, but I swear to you, it's true. And we started whispering, like, you know, I'm nervous. I think, did you say anything? No, don't talk to anybody. Just go back. I don't want people to, you know, we were so nervous. They'd go, and how long have you or whatever? Yeah. So, um, you know, Katie was whispering, and then somebody goes, and by the way, I looked like I was 40 then, and I was probably 25. <laughs> Katie looked like she was 15. She looked very young. She probably looked like she was, you know, 18 or whatever, yeah. you know. And uh, someone goes, what are, you, what are you guys talking about? Just friendly. And Katie goes, I'm pregnant. I'm like, oh, my God, Katie, why did you do that? Now they're thinking this guy's coming in. He's the president. And now he's got some young girl pregnant. Well, I think it was also you guys had just got done doing shots at the bar, too, wasn't it? Oh, that's I forgot about that. That, we, that, that Now they're like, oh, and she's pregnant. She's doing shots. I forgot about that. Right, exactly. Probably the most important part of the story, and I forgot it. And I thought, let me interrupt here and tell the story. I'll get it perfect. And then meanwhile, I fuck it up. <laughs> I'm so sorry. To anybody listening to this interview, if you're like, man, that was interesting, but that coughing got to me after a while. I totally apologize. I have malaria. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you had, uh, and then you had gone up on stage after some women had heard, overheard that conversation at the bar, and you just... You just sold them on it by getting everybody to sing the Brady Bunch thing. Yeah, I don't know why. I was like, hey, I know a lot of people don't like me. And then I got everybody singing the Brady Bunch. And then they admitted who I was, yeah. you know, that I was the comedian. I was like, oh, I haven't done those things in a while. You never get out of doing them. You know, it's like, unless I hope to one day have enough money put away that I can say no to corporate shows. But for now. But there's you know. there, there's events like that. And then you told another story on a, on, on, a, on a podcast about how you did a book signing for the book. And you wanted to get everybody to boo. Oh, yeah. When uh, new people came in during the book signing. And there's just, there's things like that that just, the description in the book, uh, I guess it's thanks to the Ghost Rider and to, you know, you working with him, Ghost Rider, not Ghost Rider. Um, And you working with him that just make the story so descriptive and the way you told the story about the boos during the book signing and everything that I can picture them perfectly. And I would think, uh, is there ever been any interest in maybe turning the book into like, into a movie or a well, not a movie, but the, you know the book. The, the 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 first title for the book was called. Um, I wanted to call it, and I still really you know wish we would have. Uh, I wanted to call the book. Uh, All I ever wanted to do was meet a nice girl with a terminal disease, <laughs> and I think the subtitle would have explained it to most people. Um, and other and other stupid things that I said to keep the closet door shut, mm-hmm. and. For the people that were still not wondering, well, you know, uh, why would he want to meet a girl with a terminal disease? Well, then she would die, and then you could tell everybody the rest of your life, he, I never got over Karen. You know, like that, you're 70 years old. I never got over Karen. And they were afraid that it would be offensive to people or, I don't know, or confusing to people. And, and I still say, as much as you might think, well, if you think they're right, then why do you still want to call it that? Because I still love that name. Yeah. Um, but instead, we went with the Todd Glass situation because... That is in the book, too. When my friend, uh, a friend of mine, Daniel, would ask me, like, hey, does Chris's family know about you guys? Or do his friends coming in from Florida know about you guys? Mm-hmm. You know, know we're together. And, um, and I would be like, no, they don't know about our situation. And he goes, oh, is that what you're in, a situation? <laughs> and it really made me laugh the night he said, oh, that's quite of a situation you got yourself into. <laughs> he goes, I think that's more than a situation. So, yeah, we were with working 
with Comedy Central with, about a show mm-hmm. for a little bit. And then we we give one script, they gave notes. We gave another script, they gave notes. We gave, we gave another script, they gave notes. They wanted it to be more about the plate spinning, which is a major part of the story. When you're hiding it, it's a lot of plate spinning. Mm-hmm. I don't think people realize it. When you hear, oh, they're hiding it or they're in the closet, you think... You just hear that term, and you don't know what it means. There's a million different variations of that. Your parents know. His parents don't know. Your friends know. Which friends know? Who don't you know? Oh, don't invite them for dinner because they know or they don't know, and I don't want... There's a million... Yeah. But I didn't want it to be the A plot of every show, and I think they wanted it to be. They wanted it to be the A plot of every show, and I didn't. It wasn't the A plot of every day of my life. Was it some days the A plot of my day? You know, if I'm, you know what I mean. If I'm referencing yeah. my life as the A B, or B plot mm-hmm. of a, and a C plot of a sitcom, yes, it was sometimes the A plot, but rarely. Sometimes it literally was a minute of my day, a minute. My, the day went on, nothing had anything to do with it, and then something would come up that had to do with that part of my life hiding it, and that's how I wanted the show to reflect it. Yeah. So we, you know, on the last they gave more notes, and my manager said, you know, if you don't give them what they want, they're probably gonna, you know. Uh, walk, mm-hmm. you know, whatever you call it. They they would, you know, we're not going any further with it. So they bought, you know, and they did. And then we we turned in the final thing, and they said we're gonna we're gonna pass. Oh, that's what I mean. They're gonna pass. Okay. So now we're looking for another home for it because there's been a lot of shows about people that are out of the closet, which again I hate that term. Uh, it's not. It, no one else should stop saying it. It's a fine term. I just hate it for yeah. me. But it's not like I'm saying no one should say it. It's fine. And, and when you say it, everyone knows exactly what you mean. Yeah. It means you're hiding your identity. I get it. But I just that's why I say busting out of the shed because it, it's a little more manly. Or coming out of the garage as you coming you used on a, yeah. I think you used that on Chris's. Yeah, coming out of the garage, yeah. whatever. Something that's got a little tough, a little tougher, <laughs> you know, bite to it. Yeah. Um, uh, that uh, there have been a lot of shows about people that have been uh, out of the shed but there has never been a show really about someone you know in you know uh hiding still being in the closet still and i thought it would be interesting i really do i think it could shed i think it would be funny and i think it would also shed a lot of light on it but i also wanted it to have nothing to do with it Mm -hmm. uh sometimes i wanted it to just have nothing to do with it i wanted the show to be able to be funny all by itself and that was just another layer of it so the answer to your question is yes and the show would be called the Todd Glass situation, and I'm hoping we find a home for it because uh, I think it could be a good show. Is it something that you would want to play? Yourself? Oh, absolutely. Okay, absolutely. And my manager asked me, uh, "What if they, you know, what if you sold the show to you know whoever?" And they said, "Listen, we like the show, but we want to buy the concept, and you'd stay on as an executive producer." Mm-hmm. I said, "When it came to that, I would probably say okay, but I'd really rather play that yeah. part myself." I think if anything that that would be another step in your career that could help you get to that big arena. Well, of course, a, a show on a show on television would absolutely help. You know, but the stand-up comedy is what I like to do more than anything. Yeah. You know, if I could just tour, if I could be like a Brian Regan, you know, a guy like that is pretty much just known for being a great stand-up comedy comedian. I turned my phone off. Uh, I would. That's what I would love more than anything. You know, like I even said once, hypothetically, like let's say uh, Jimmy Kimmel let me come out on a show three times a week, mm-hmm. three times a week, and walk out and go, "Can um, are you gonna? Uh, can I be on your show?" He goes, "No." 
And that's all I did three times a week. Or I came out towards the end. Ladies and gentlemen, Todd Glass. He sort of does that with Matt Damon. Yeah, so I'm just using yeah. this as... But let's say it was something like that where three times a week, literally, or twice a month, just a shit ton, where they introduce me. I come out. I sit at panel. They go, oh, sorry, we're out of time. I never say anything. But that's how an audience knew me. I'd be fine with that. Yeah. I'd be fine. Like, oh, that's the guy that comes out on... The Kimmel every single night or something, and they never use them or any bit like that. That's just a, um, if it was on Jimmy Fallon or any show like that. That's all I did, and that's only people didn't even know what to expect when they came out to see me. But that's how they knew me. I'd be fine with that too. Do do talk shows contact you to do that, or can you pitch that to talk shows to do something like that? Well, when you're when you're, uh, I pitched sort of bits to Kimmel mm-hmm. uh, to that show a lot. But yeah, you have to either know somebody there. Usually, you know somebody that works on the show, but. I think to do something like that, you'd have to sort of have a relationship with them yeah. before you pitched it. I mean, well, there, I mean, there's definitely other networks out there. Oh know, yeah, like, I feel FX I, and yeah, things yeah. like that. There's, there's other, a lot. Uh, yeah, there's definitely a lot of other places that you could pitch that show. So, I mean, I wish you the best of luck because I would love to see it too. Thank you. Uh, and if it's not that, it'll be something else. I haven't, you know, I have a, the only other idea. I, I'm very big in the social issues, mm-hmm. and I would love to do what sort of John Stewart and Bill Maher have done for politics for social issues. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you would think, well, if, if you tried to explain the, you know, how John Stewart or Bill Maher could deal with all that stuff but make it funny, yeah. someone would think, oh, are they going to mock that type of... No, they would just... They, they would just... You, you could ne- Now we see those shows so we understand. And that's the same thing with social issues. I would love... Because if you think about it, what is John Stewart? You know, they took some very traditional shows that were boring talking about mm-hmm. politics, and they now they're interesting to watch. Um, I would love to do that for social issues, yeah. and uh, I think it would be a great show. And that that's I don't know which one I would want to do more if I had a magic wand, if I could wave it and have like a, you know almost like a you know I, I can't even think like you know maybe what Oprah uh, Oprah that type of a show or mm-hmm. Phil Donahue in his day, mm-hmm. but I'm a comedian doing it. Yeah. But driven by passion. Driven by passion, mm-hmm. you know. Well, that's kind of like the sort of, like, I know one of the things that I would love to do one day. Because I just, I'm a, I'm a big pop culture junkie. So I would love to do, like, a, even if it's, whether it's in podcast form or, you know, uh, with any stroke of luck uh, sometime down the road on a television show or whatever. Just do, like, a round table and just different people joining in talking about whatever new in pop culture that week. I mean, there's talk shows that do it all the time. You know, Joel McHale does it with the soup, and that's yeah. more parody and, and making fun of things and stuff like that. And even John Stewart, as you mentioned, and you know Stephen Colbert, they'll they'll touch base on it, and Jimmy Fallon and all those guys. But it would basically just be pretty much just that. Uh, you know, so I mean, there's always different ideas. Yeah, there's so many avenues and there's so many venues today that that I you know that I'm that I think this will be a, a good year for me, and I think the book will lead me to a lot yeah. of uh, to a lot of other. Uh, load of paths. Yeah, the book is still fresh. I mean, it just came out in June, so it's. Um, yeah, the book came out June or July third. June third. June third. You're right. Because um, I know you you were on uh, Preston and Steve, which is a station here in Philadelphia, and you had mentioned the book. Right. Uh, I had pre-ordered it that day, so. Uh, I'm looking at my calendar. <laughs> to talk. Yeah, you're right. Uh, yeah, we did it on uh, June third. On June third. So yeah, I've been reading a little bit of about a little bit of it every day. Uh, I'm loving the book, um, and I'm definitely. I've been telling a lot of people about it too. Thank you. So uh, you know, I know a lot of people. Uh, and I'm big into social media too, and I know I've posted on Facebook, 
you know, I know when I first started reading the book, I posted on Facebook that I was reading it and how funny it was. I had a, quite a few of my friends comment on it who knew who you were and said they were going to add it to their reading material and, and things like that. So I'm, I'm spreading the word too just because I like to... I like to do that. I appreciate it. Take all the help I can get. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, I know we're about an hour and 15 in, so we should probably get started uh, wrapping things up. But uh, I just want to, just some information, just so I can point people your way and get you, you know, uh, get you bigger and things like that. Your website's toddglass.com. Uh, they can follow you on Twitter at Todd Glass. And your podcast is through the Nerdist Network on Facebook.com slash Todd Glass Show. And it's on iTunes as well. Yes. The so, Todd Glass Show. Uh, which I've heard a couple episodes too. I, I went back and I listened to, like the like I said, the one with Paul F. Tompkins and, and Ron Funches. And just, I'm going to listen to more. Just my iPod took a dump the other day. So I kind of, <laughs> I got to get a new iPod. So I start listening to this. You don't have an iPhone? No, I have a, uh, I'm, I'm Android. Oh, you're, so but have, they don't have a podcast app? Uh, I can, if I download it to my iTunes library, I can access my iTunes library through it. Uh, but I just have to I have to set it up for the podcasts because I think I'm actually probably going to get rid of my now that my iPod took a dump I think I'm going to strict just go through my phone because all my music that I can that I put I have to load onto my iPod I can access right from my computer oh yeah they, they, so it's so much easier just to do it this way and so uh, but you're going to be out at the comedy cabaret tomorrow night Doylestown uh, yeah this drops night. when's this drop. I'm hoping to have it up tonight. But oh, so, you are. Yeah. But we're sold out, so. Oh, okay. Yeah, but. Uh, but, but you're kind of, you're always back. You're yeah, back. I'm coming back for Thanksgiving. I'm going to be at the Helium Thanksgiving week. So the Wednesday, take off for Thanksgiving, and then do Friday and Saturday. Okay. With the local and, well, not local anymore, but originally a Conestoga graduate, the same high school I went to, <laughs> uh, will be me and Blake Wexler. Awesome. Yeah, um, I haven't been to Helium in a while, but now I have a. Another reason to, to come out, too. It's going to be fun. So. It's a big event when I'm there. <laughs> Band and everything. <laughs> Trumpets are blazing. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. But, uh, Todd, thanks for doing this. Thank this you. Great. I, pre- I appreciate it, and uh, it was uh, very enjoyable. So, you got uh, to see my brother's house. I and did. It, and, my, and my sister-in-law. It's a beautiful house, too. Well, they've done a nice job here. I appreciate you letting me come in and make this. <laughs>